This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. I will now invite our sister Huili to read uh, the passage to us. Scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 21, verse 5 to 19. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. This is the word of God. I will now pass the time over to Pastor Andrew Ong, who will be explaining God's word to us today. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for bringing us all here safely and we just pray that you'll be giving us the Holy Spirit to understand your word so that we may know the times that we live in and how we must live in it. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I'm sure all of you use WhatsApp, right? Anybody here not use WhatsApp? I'll be very, very surprised that anybody puts up their hand. Any of you use group chats? I'm sure we always use group chats, right? Anybody don't know what a group chat is? Okay, any of you ever misinterpret or misunderstand your WhatsApp message? Anybody? Yes, we all do that, right? We misinterpret, we misunderstand our WhatsApp messages. So a few weeks ago, my son decided to organize for us to have a Turkish dinner at Suntech City. And so on the day itself, my dad wrote uh, this message on our group WhatsApp. Uh, don't raise this, please. It's okay because uh, my sister says that, you know, in case people steal your phones, you should put police on all the people so they don't call you, okay? <laughs> so anyway, so my dad wrote this on my uh, group WhatsApp message and he says, I'll pick you up at uh, 1 at 6.30 p.m. So my son thinks that my dad is going to pick me up from church after the consistory meeting at 6.30. My dad thinks that he's going to pick up my family at Hillview at 6.30. And I think that nobody's going to pick me up at all. So 6.30 comes along, and I'm on the bus, 
186 from Charlton Lane down to Suntec City. And I get this phone call from my son. Hey, Akong is at our house, but I'm driving down the PIE and he doesn't know where to go. What should we do? Like, you know, he's stuck there. I'm here. I said, I'm in the bus. What can I do? I can't help you. And as I'm talking to my son, I realized that I've missed my bus stop and I've gone past Suntec City to the next bus stop already. And so I'm frustrated because I've missed my bus stop and now I've got to walk back all the way back to Suntec City. And when I get there, there's no one there because obviously my, my dad is still back in my house trying to figure out where to go and my son is driving down the PIE trying to figure out how to help my dad. Now, it's all because we've misunderstood the times and events, right? We've misunderstood and miscomprehended times and events. And so we're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, we've all done that before. Missed appointments, we're late for appointments, we go to the wrong place at the wrong time for appointments. But today's passage is all the more serious because God is trying to tell us, and Jesus speaks to us to tell us that missing and misinterpreting and misunderstanding the times and events has much, much more serious consequences than just being frustrated and missing dinner. You could actually mean that you miss out on the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the return of Jesus, and salvation, and eternal life itself. So we begin today's passage by this observation that some of Jesus' disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. Now the temple that they were looking at was the second temple. Okay? It, it, it basically took a, a renovation of 80 years to bring the second temple that they were looking at to its final, final shape. Now, I want you to think about it, for those of you who have done renovation, right? I mean, our renovation at most probably takes a couple of months, but you imagine if you have 80 years to renovate your house, it would probably be quite nice, right? And so this temple was really a remarkable structure. It was like one of the wonders of the world, and uh, even the Romans, right, the Roman historian remarked that this temple was immensely opulent. And so the disciples were remarking at the beautiful stones which adorned the temple. They don't, I mean, the temple didn't have a garage door, but the size of these stones were massive, right? So I put in the estimated dimensions and it was about the size of this garage door, but it wasn't just the size of this garage door, it was as long as... Uh, Okay, so I plugged in the number and the Google told me it's as long as a Megalodon, which is supposed to be like the biggest shark in the world in history, right? So it's like 15 times as long as a normal human being. So these were massive stones and they were hugely impressive on the temple. But not only that, they were remarking at the gifts dedicated to God. And here we see in the temple itself, there were these doors which were made of gold and silver and there were these magnificent carpets, right, which apparently came from Persia, which were made of blue and red, and like stretched from the ceiling down to the bottom. So this was a magnificent building. But it wasn't just the stones or the doors or the gold or the carpet which made the temple so remarkable. The temple itself was like the focal point of Jewish identity. Its religious identity, its relationship with God, it formed like the prominent place in the city of Jerusalem, as you can see from these recreations or the drawings of what it would look like in its original setting, right? So it was this remarkable building set in the middle of this city, right? Now for ourselves, I was thinking, I guess our equivalent could be something like the Marina Bay Sands. 
But the Marina Bay Sands doesn't hold a candle to the temple, right? In terms of its significance. I mean, after all, it's just a casino, right? I mean, what's the big deal if the Marina Bay Sands collapse? I mean, not, not that we want it to collapse, but it's just a casino, right? But the temple was like the focal point of all of Jewish identity, of its relationship with God, of its worship with God. And so what Jesus says next would be truly shocking to the disciples. He said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now it's impossible to overstate the shocking thing that Jesus had just said, right? Especially for the Jew who lived 2,000 years ago. He was basically saying that, that like what we see today in Turkey and Syria, the earthquake would happen in terms of the destruction of the temple. That not one stone would be left on another. But what would be even more shocking, what Jesus was saying was every one of them would be thrown down. Okay, in a sense, as we've been reading, God would be acting against his own temple and throw down the building so that it was completely destroyed. Now, this kind of makes sense in the context of what we've been reading. Because over the last few weeks, we've been seeing how Jesus had been saying that the city of Jerusalem itself would be under God's judgment. It would come under God's judgment and God himself would act against his city, Jerusalem. So in Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, look, your house will be left to you desolate or destroyed, or ruined, or wasteland. And so last week, we read how as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Because he says that people will come and they will not leave one stone or another. Okay, that sounds familiar. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So as we saw in the last few weeks, God would actually bring destruction on Jerusalem because they had not recognized his messengers, his prophets, he was in a sense the owner of the vineyard, but the tenants had refused to acknowledge him or to respect him or to worship him. And finally, God the Son had come and they had rejected God's Son, Jesus himself. But last week we also saw that as Jesus enters into the temple, again, the people in the temple and the rulers of the temple, the religious leaders, the chief priests, they also responded to Jesus in the same way. They rejected Jesus and in fact they tried to destroy him. So he condemns the temple. He says, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. But instead of repenting and recognizing what Jesus has said, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people began to try to destroy him or to kill him. So what we see here is God, through Jesus, has pronounced judgment on Jerusalem. And God, through Jesus, has also pronounced judgment on the temple. So the disciples then asked this question, Teacher, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? Now, this is a very, very important question. Because this question, in a sense, is the foundation for what we're going to read following in this week and the week to come. So what exactly are the disciples asking? They're asking in the first place, when will these things happen? Like, what is the date when these things happen? What is the time, right? Can you point your finger on the calendar and tell us when these things will happen? 
Now, what does, do they mean when they ask these things? Right? What are the, these things that the disciples have in mind when they say, when will these things happen? Obviously, they must encompass what Jesus has already been talking about over the last few weeks and the destruction of Jerusalem, as well as the destruction of the temple. But as we've been going through the book of Luke, underlying many, many of the interactions between Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and the Jewish leaders, Jesus and the people, is the expectation of the kingdom of God coming, right? And of the Christ coming. And I think that when they ask the question, when will these things happen? Within that understanding of the, these things, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem is of such shocking magnitude, of such earth-shattering meaning, that for the ancient Jew, for the disciples as well, they would signify the end. As the temple is destroyed, as Jerusalem is destroyed, it signifies the coming of the kingdom of God, the time of judgment, the coming of the Christ himself. We can see that because for them, this thinking of everything happening as one moment in time, one event, one singularity, is because in the next question they say, what will be the sign that they are about to take place, right? So for them, all these things take place at one moment in time, the destruction of the temple, destruction of Jerusalem, end times, kingdom of God, Christ comes, game over, right? So that's the way that they are thinking. That's the way that the question is being framed. That's the way that the question is being asked. So what does Jesus say? Jesus replied, Watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. I want us to notice that Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. In fact, he gives them three warnings. Watch out. You're not deceived. Do not follow them. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? Well, watch out means to be on guard, to be on lookout, to be, to be watchful, right? But what are they to be watchful for? They are to be watchful that they are not deceived. Now, I think we're quite familiar in this day and age, right, in terms of not being deceived. Literally, Jesus is saying here, is make sure that you're not scammed. Okay? Don't be scammed. Uh, don't be tricked. Don't uh, follow the wrong person, right? And that's why he's saying, don't do not follow them, right? As a as a like a sheep follows a shepherd. Now the reason why he says, watch out that you're not deceived, do not follow them, is because he says, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm he, and the time is near. See, the mistake that they could make is if they think that everything is going to happen in a singular moment, then they're kind of expecting. Jesus has come very quickly, and for the next person that turns up and says that they come from Jesus, they belong from Jesus or to Jesus, they are Jesus, and the time is near, the temptation is to follow this person. But Jesus says that's a mistake. For many people, right, a multitude of people will come in my name claiming that they are from Jesus, belong to Jesus, they are Jesus, and that the time is near. Now this is really, really important for us to understand, right? Because Jesus is saying the end is happening some time away. And during that time, that waiting time before the end, many scam Jesus will come. And they will come trying to scam people out of the kingdom of God, and they will give them fake news. 
Now, this is so important for us to hear because I've spoken to so many people, uh, elders of churches, people visiting dodgy churches and listening to dodgy preachers, and I, I try to tell them, look, this person is actually not speaking from Jesus, they don't belong to Jesus, and uh, you shouldn't listen to them. And they'll say things to me like, oh, you know, I don't think that there are many false teachers around. Uh, they're just different interpretations. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that there are many scam Jesuses who will come in that waiting period before the end who will try to scam you and deceive you and get you to follow them, but they are really, really dangerous. So we live in a world today where many people lose valuable things to scammers. Just last year, According to newspaper reports, $661 million were lost to scams, and that's just what we know of. right? And so therefore, in Singapore, wherever you go, bus stops, HDB flats, MRTs, they're always warning you, don't be a victim. Know the scam, right? Don't be scammed. And the way that you prevent being a victim and not uh, be scammed is you need to have knowledge and self-vigilance. And that's what Jesus is attempting to do for us here, right? He's giving us knowledge so that we may be self-vigilant while we wait for the end. There will be people who say they belong to Jesus, they come from Jesus, they may be Jesus, and they know the times. But Jesus says, do not follow them, do not be deceived, do not be scammed by them. So many years ago, uh, when I was living in Australia, I used to get my hair cut by this old Lebanese man. And I tried to evangelize this Lebanese man, and I realized, after talking to him for a while, he was a Jehovah's Witness. Have any of you met any Jehovah's Witness? When I was living in Woodlands, there were Jehovah's Witness knocking on my door, trying to evangelize me. I, I don't know whether you've met them. Now, a Jehovah's Witness, actually, over the last few centuries, have kept predicting over and over again the end times, right? So here is just a list that you can find when you Google them. In 1799, 1887, 1881, 1914, 1918, 1925, 1975, they keep predicting over and over again when the end times will begin. Now, if we take Jesus' words seriously, we will say, do not be scammed by these people, right? Because they are coming into the world telling you they know the times and that they are speaking from Jesus, but it is all fake news. But yet over the, around the world, there are 8.5 million people who follow this scam and in a sense are not listening to Jesus' words. Are we like that? No, we shouldn't be like that, right? We, we know, we have knowledge and we should be self-vigilant, Jesus says. Watch out, he says for these scammers as we prepare for the return of Jesus. You know, Jesus says many of these scam Jesus will come. But watch out for them. Do not follow them. Do not be scammed by them. Jesus then goes on and tells them what else will happen before the end. When you hear wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, famines, pestilence in various places, and great signs from heaven. Now, he's talking about general fearful things around the world. We see it all around the world. In fact, in our Bible study, we were saying 
It's amazing because all the things that Jesus talks about in this passage seem to be happening if you look at the newspapers over the last few weeks. But Jesus says, do not be frightened, right? Do not experience deep terror so that you are like paralyzed or freaked out. Because Jesus says, these things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. In fact, if you look at the other Gospels, it actually uses the analogy of childbirth and saying it's just the beginning of child pains, right? So you still got a long ways to go. So Jesus is actually saying that in the chronology of time, war, great disturbances, famine, pestilence, earthquake, these things are not the end. They are the not-end period, the pre-end period. So therefore, do not be frightened, right? Do not be frightened. Even when the temple is destroyed, even when Jerusalem is destroyed, he's telling his disciples, this is not the end. Now, how are we to live in this way then? To not be frightened when all these fearful events are happening around us. It's to actually keep our eyes on what's really important, right? To keep our eyes on the fact that the thing that we really need to focus on is to persevere all the way to the end in Christ. So, I'm sure that uh, you see all these keep calm quotes before on coffee mugs or screensavers or people say things, right? So effectively what Jesus is saying is keep calm and keep believing in Jesus. Even when all these fearful events are happening, you've got to keep calm and keep believing in Jesus because it's not the end. The end hasn't come yet. In fact, these things will keep happening over and over again before the end. We need to keep calm and keep being in fellowship. Now, why do we say this? Now, remember in our church camp, Ben Thompson, the speaker, was talking about how in England, it was very sad because in his previous church, because of COVID, the church had actually lost more people than they had gained during the COVID period. They just like, some people had just disappeared from church and never come back. And I know that in Singapore, we experience the same thing too, right? During COVID, some people get really scared and they step out of fellowship. They become really fearful of the world and mixing with people and then they stop having fellowship <clears throat> and community. And as a result, it impacts their walk in Christ, their perseverance to what really matters, which is the end when Jesus comes. So the Bible tells us, do not be frightened, right? Do not be frightened by all these things which are happening. If tomorrow, war breaks out between China and Taiwan, you must still keep coming to church, right? You must keep sending your children to children's ministry, sending your children to youth, going to Bible study. The world goes on. If tomorrow, Russia decides to drop a nuclear bomb on Ukraine, the end hasn't come, right? We still keep coming to church. We still keep fellowshipping. We still keep going on. That's what Jesus is saying. The end hasn't come yet. Keep calm. Do not be frightened, but keep going on in your faith. The end is not here. Now, if the first part is about universally bad things which happen, which people mistakenly see as or mistakenly misinterpret as the end, then the last section really is about bad things which happen to Christians specifically, to believers specifically. 
But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison, and you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. Now, the historical ancient context would obviously be that uh, the original disciples will be persecuted by the Jews. They will be handed over to the synagogues. And they'll also be persecuted by the Gentiles. They'll be brought before kings and governors. But Jesus goes beyond that, right? To speak of how it's not just the Jews who will persecute you and the Gentiles who persecute you, who in a sense is every, the whole world, right? Because between the Jews and Gentiles, there's no one's left. But even your closest relations who persecute you, your brothers, your parents, your sisters, your relatives, they will betray you. In fact, the situation is completely universal, right? Everyone will hate you because of me. Now, all these things, like progressively, in a sense, stretch the whole spectrum of the whole world in a very broad, abstract sense, to a very personal relational sense of friends and relatives and brothers and sisters. And in a sense, everyone hates us because we all bear the name of Jesus. Because we are Christians. Because we are Christ. Now the temptation would be, during this time, that uh, as we face all this persecution, that we renounce the name of Jesus, that we keep quiet, we keep silent, right? Now, thankfully, we don't live in many parts of the world where we physically face death. I don't know of anybody in Singapore who's died yet for being a Christian. But interestingly, I was talking to someone in the Project Timothy talks just last week. And for many of us, we may not face like the physical uh, persecution, but we face persecution more subtly, right? Especially for young people. Online, So so I was talking to this pastor and he was saying that especially now we we live in this social, connected, online age. We may not physically die, but we may be killed online. We may be kind of like murdered online, right? Because we bear the name of Jesus, then people may flame us, cancel us, block us, dislike us. But at the end of the day, That is the arena in which we have to bear testimony to Jesus, right? So Jesus goes on to say, right, to the ancient Christians, they will be brought before synagogues and kings and governors, but they must bear testimony. They must bear testimony to, in the synagogues, in the courts, before kings and governors. Well, obviously we don't go to synagogues and bear testimony before kings and governors today. But the arena, in the sense where we bear testimony to God, is maybe our workplaces, maybe our homes, maybe online. Because the context may be changed. We are not in synagogues or before kings and governors anymore, but, but we are still, in a sense, called to bear testimony to Jesus, whatever the context is. So I wonder for ourselves, in the arena or the context that we find ourselves in, perhaps in our workplaces, our schools, online, whether we choose to keep silent 
and pretend that we are not Christian, or whether we'll be willing to stand up for Christ because of his name and to bear testimony for Jesus. Because what Jesus is really saying is, as we wait for the end, specific suffering and persecution and hard times because of Jesus, because we are Christians, will definitely happen to us. This is part of God's plan. And it is part of God's plan that we bear testimony to him in all the different arenas and contexts that we find ourselves being persecuted in. So that's what we must be doing. Now Jesus goes on to encourage us, right? In verse 18. Okay, so people will put you to death. Verse 16. Verse 17. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now that's really strange, right? Uh, actually, in its original language, it's even stronger than that, right? You know, in Singapore, we have this phrase, double confirm, right? He's saying double confirm. Not a hair in your head will perish. But how can verse 16 and verse 18 be consistent with one another, right? If you are dead, then how can Jesus guarantee that not a hair on your head will perish? I mean, this doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's contradictory. So how are we to understand what Jesus is saying here to encourage us to stand firm and to give testimony for him? Well, we've seen this similar phrase before about the hairs on your head back in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. And so what Jesus is really saying is, he's saying, yes, some of you will be put to death. But double confirm, not a hair of your head will perish because God guards your soul into eternal life. I think that's the time frame and that's the context in which Jesus is making this promise. You may die physically, but eternally you will live in the kingdom of heaven. Now, because of that command, because of that assurance, because of that guarantee, he then goes on to say, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm and you'll win life. Now, I think that this uh, translation by the ESV actually helps us to understand a bit more uh, the emphasis of what Jesus is trying to emphasize here, right? What he's trying to actually say in the ESV is, by your endurance, you will gain life, you will win life, you will seize life. So what Jesus is really trying to command and emphasize here is, because God guards your hair, the hair on your head, to make sure you will live to eternity in the kingdom of God. Win life, gain life, seize life by your endurance, by your steadfastness. So you know there's this uh, Latin phrase that we all know called carpe diem, right? Seize the day, carpe diem. Well, I think what Jesus is saying is slightly opposite, right? So the word for life in Latin is vitality, like viva, right? Like we, you know, we, we, in our English, we have revive or vitamin or vitality, right? So what Jesus is actually saying is, instead of carpe diem, is 
carpe vita. Seize life, right? Gain life. Grab life by enduring, by standing firm and persevering in Jesus Christ. So that's really important, right? It's like there's this divine sovereign promise where he will guard you and keep you safe for eternal life. But at the same time, we have a human responsibility, right? We have a human responsibility. We have a human response to divine sovereignty. We need to win life by standing firm and enduring. That means that you, when people persecute you and flame you and dislike you online, you still stand firm in Christ. If your family despise you, disrespect you, dislike you for being a Christian, you still need to stand firm and endure and persevere because you're standing firm to win life. If in your workplace, in your schools, you know, you feel pressure, you feel that uh, persecution for being a Christian, you still need to stand firm in order to win life, to seize life and to grab life. See, it's so important for us to recognize that the end has not yet come. These are all the non-end events. The game is not over, right? We need to persevere and stand firm and keep going on. And so in conclusion, let me tell you about the birth of my second son, Ben. It was uh, the middle of the night. And my wife thought that uh, she was due to give birth. So we get our pre-prepared bag, got in the car, we go to the hospital. And we get to the hospital, it's like in the middle of the night. And then we wait, we wait and wait and wait. Until like it's like mid-morning. Baby still hasn't come yet. In fact, it doesn't look like it's coming yet at all. So, you know, I'm getting really hungry. So, I decide to take the, there's this hospital shuttle which goes to the shopping mall near the, near the hospital. And you know, those days you have no mobile phones. Okay, you know, Ben is quite old. In those days you have no mobile phones. So, I catch the hospital shuttle. I go to the shopping mall. I have a really nice breakfast. And I decide, you know, baby hasn't come yet. So, I walk around and shop a bit. And then I go catch the bus back. I get to the hospital, and the nurse says, where are you? Your wife is going to give birth already. Like, it's like she's already giving birth. Okay, then I run to the thing, and I get there just in time for the birth of my son. See, I kind of misinterpreted the time, right? We went too early. We waited a long time, and I thought, okay, don't know when the baby is ever going to come. Then the second mistake I made was I went to the shopping mall, and I thought, actually... The birth is going to come a long time, but actually it's going to happen very fast. And I almost didn't make it back in time. And same for us, isn't it? We can make that mistake too. We may make the mistake of time. And we think that actually N is very far away or N is very close. But Jesus actually doesn't tell us that, right? He says, look, during this interim time, this non-end time, beware, watch out, be watchful. There are lots of scam Jesuses out there. They're going to be telling you fake news. You're going to watch out for them. Don't believe them and don't follow them. He also says, look, during this time, there are going to be lots of frightening things happening. Wars and earthquakes and revolutions and famine. Don't be frightened, right? Life goes on. Keep calm. Keep being a Christian. Keep coming in community and fellowship and encouraging one another. And then lastly, he also says, during this time, you're going to be suffering. Persecution 
by the non-believing world is going to be a reality in this non-end time. We've got to bear testimony for Jesus and we need to seize eternal life by standing firm in Christ. Because God promises that not a single hair on your head will be lost and he will guard you all the way to eternal life. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for Jesus has shown us a vision of what the times will be like. He teaches us that all these things must happen before the end, before the return of Jesus once again, before the coming of the kingdom of God and all its completion and fruition. And so, dear Father, we pray for each and every one of us that we do not be scammed by all these scam Jesuses, that we do not believe in the fake news, but rather that we only uh, believe in your word, in the Bible, that we will be vigilant and to know uh, the scammers. Dear Father, we pray that we will not be frightened by all these frightening and fearful events which happen in the world around us, that we will see that we need to keep calm and keep going on in Christ. Dear Father, we also know, as Jesus has promised, that the non-end time will be a time of persecution, of difficulty by even those closest to us. But this is expected. This is what you have told us through your son, Jesus. Help us to continue to bear testimony even as we experience this persecution. Dear Father, help us to seize eternal life by always standing firm in Christ. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, thank you, Pastor Andrew, uh, for the reminder for us to, to stand firm in Christ and to bear testimony for Him. So wars and troubles everywhere, including persecution for Christians, are signs of end days, but they are not the end. Okay, um, and also due to time constraint and uh, with the communion that's going to happen on the, no, because we have first Sunday of the month, we will not be having a reflection and discussion time. However, uh, we'll be fleshing up the two questions that you can further discuss uh, during tea break downstairs or during lunch later on. The two questions are, what warnings does Jesus gives, uh, give us as we wait for his return? And which ones do, we, do I find most challenging as I wait for his return? So hope that uh, you can have a, a good discussion after that. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.